Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured sound bites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you, our listeners, with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corrin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 21 of Soul Sessions with KK. This week, I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing Ilana Ibgi. Ilana is a performance artist based in Brooklyn. She's also a writer, and she's part of the Chabad community. Alana is also a woman of color. This episode will allow you to see the world through her lens as an artist, a from Jew, and a black woman. We speak about everything, everything from racism and discrimination, particularly in the Orthodox Jewish community, to her recent marriage, to her recent wedding, and to becoming a bonus mom to three wonderful girls. I was so moved by Alana's faith. I was actually trying to hold back my tears and her outlook on life. She reminded me about what, where the real work lies, that it's not enough to just protest and it's not enough to just put a post on Instagram. It's much, much deeper than that. But I'm not going to give anything away. And I would love to introduce Ilana Ibgi. Enjoy the show. everyone we are here with Ilana Igbi and she is a Brooklyn wife a Chabad Brooklyn wife a bonus mom and she's an artist and she is here to share her story with all of you today Ilana welcome to Soul Sessions with KK um can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself I'm sure I grew up in New Jersey Um, on the Jersey Shore. I had a very um, quaint and simple childhood and a very slow-paced environment. I did grow up surrounded by art. So like art definitely not only shapes who I am, but it also I think shapes how I look at the world and how I view things. It definitely is through the lens of an artist. Um, I was coming to New York by myself, probably by the time I was 12 years old for dance classes. So I was definitely like a very independent person. And I knew that I wanted to be an artist my whole life, basically. And that's like been the driving force behind everything that I've done. Um, And I moved to New York for grad school in 2012. Cool. Which uh, school did you go to? I went to the Actors Studio Drama School. Oh, that's wonderful. So I can see that you're an artist in the sense of drawing and dancing. Is there anything else that moves you? Um, so I'm mostly a performance artist. I don't draw, actually. Oh, you don't? Um, cool. But when I you love think of art, like, that's what you think of. Yeah. 
Oh, so yeah, what is it that I you are? I could not probably draw anything. Um, performance art mainly. So I do That's a fun. lot of writing right now because I can't do a lot of performance art, but um, I am a part of a theater company and I do like a lot of non-linear avant-garde theater pieces as well as film and video production. Um, I'm in the process of working on a documentary that I'm producing. So just like anything really that um oh, wow. that touches me oh thank you for expanding on that because when you said artist i automatically thought of like coloring and drawing and painting so thank you for clarifying that actually you're welcome oh wow very nice so how did you get into that like did you know this from a young age or is this something that you i did i can't really yeah. remember not knowing it but it's interesting because i i found this with a lot of other artists like it's almost like an introverted extrovert personality a lot of times so I come alive when I'm performing and a lot of times um in daily life like I might seem like a more boring square kind of person but I really thrive in creating and cultivating and producing and performing and um any of those things like even if it's like setting the Shabbos table I like to set it in a beautiful way. Like I like to make the flowers beautiful and I like to plate all the food beautifully. And like occasionally my husband's been like, it's just the two of us. Like, why don't you just serve things like out of the pots or out of, you know, if I buy dips like out of the container. And to me, that's like, like, it's a sin. Like how can you <laughs> serve something with like out of a container? Even if it's on plastic, I want it to be beautiful. So I think that that's like part of my approach to life is just like things need to be beautiful and I don't think there's any one way to make it beautiful like I think you know some people want it to be like more modern and some people are more earthy like I'm definitely more earthy in that way like I like candles on wood and like you know I'm I'm just I'm not such a fancy person in that way um but I do like to make things special and beautiful and arrange them that's beautiful that's actually such a interesting perspective for someone like me because like I I feel like I do need definitely more of that perspective to make things beautiful and looking at things through an artistic point of view and that you can always enhance the setting and like the way you look at things and the way things are designed really impacts the way you see like the way you see things the way you design things and it really impacts the way you see the world I'm seeing that yeah wow that's beautiful so um let's get straight to it so you are a black Jewish woman. Yes. And right now, you obviously know you are a black Jewish woman. But when did you first realize that you did you looked different from the people around you? I don't know if you grew up with other, you know, black people or if you grew up mostly amongst non-black people. When did you first realize that? Um so it's interesting. I don't know if I ever realized that fully realized that I was different than everyone else, but I grew up mostly around non-black people. Um, uh, and I mostly went to school with people who weren't black, probably until I was, um, maybe 14. So from like preschool through high school, I was like mostly surrounded by non black people and then even in high school there were like more but it was definitely um 
like we're definitely a small percentage of the population. Um, pretty much the same in college and grad school. Um, that it's pretty much been like my existence. And how did how did you feel about that? Did you ever like notice that? I mean, I know I know that you know you were different, but did it ever impact you in a negative way? Um, not, it, it didn't impact me in a negative way, just the fact that there were less people who looked like me. Um, and like, I don't think any of the demographics affected me in a negative way, but I know that it affected other people in a negative way, um, because they voiced that and they voiced it to me and they might've had a different experience than me. And so I know, like, I, I feel very strongly that my experience is valid, but also their experience is valid. So just because I didn't, I mean, I had negative experiences, but not just because I didn't see people who look like me. Um, but for some people that can be very unsettling for them. Um, I, you know, I even have a nephew who has struggled with that for a very long time with identity and, and race and not necessarily feeling like he fits in because he doesn't look like everyone else. And so it's a very individual struggle, I think. I do think it's important to have people around you who look like you. And luckily I did have that in my family. Like I'm, I have a very big family. We're very close. So it wasn't like I was only around people who didn't look like me and I never saw any person ever. It was like, you know, at home every day I saw people and, you know, on the weekends, like at big family events and stuff, I was always around that. So, um, I guess that was enough for me in a way, um, and, you know, like positive role models and things like that, but for some people it's not. Mm -hmm. So do you think that was an important factor as to like your confidence as a black woman, like that you had other people around you that were also black? Do you think that helped you? Um, I do think it helps confidence. I mean, for a while I was involved with, um, volunteering for an organization called Strong Women, Strong Girls, and it was started by a woman named Lindsay Hyde, and it came out of Harvard. And part of the research that she did um, on uh, at-risk populations and diversity was basically people, really responsive people who they can relate to, and a lot of times who look like them, especially children. So we would do activities with these girls. They were third through fifth grade girls, and it was like an after-school program. And part of what we would do, in addition to like an arts project or something, would be we would read a profile of a woman throughout history who could be like a role model. And they were always from different backgrounds because of the fact that she felt, um, you know, through her research, she learned that people relate to people who they can relate to a lot of times in look. So they would be white, they would be Chinese, they would be black, all different backgrounds, whatever background she felt like people in the program were because of that. So just any strong role model from a different background. I was lucky, like my mother is my strongest role model and the one that I was influenced by the most because she raised me and my mother is definitely a dynamic and strong woman and, and really um, impressed on me the importance of being happy and confident and feeling sure of yourself. So I think 
I think that there's a formula. I don't exactly know what the formula is. I'm trying to figure it out because I do want to give it over to my girls because I think it's important, not just if you're black, but I think it's important for any person, any woman um, to, to really have confidence and, and it helps you to be grounded in yourself to make right choices. Part of it, I know my mom said was letting me know that she trusted me. So like I had a lot of decision-making power as a child within a safe realm. Um, and that my mom felt would help me later in life so that I wouldn't like be thrown into the world and all of a sudden I'm 18 and now I can decide anything I want, but I don't know what I want. And I've never felt confident to make choices for myself. So that I think is important as well. So yeah, having good role models, having people who look like you and relate to you. I'm seeing a lot of these same like these factors that one probably needs for an overall healthy self-esteem and to be empowered um so was there ever a time that you did feel like discriminated against because of the color sure. of your skin sure there have definitely been times when i felt discriminated against um not in a strong way like i haven't had experiences like some people where i felt like my life was going to be threatened or um, or Hasbasom, something like really bad was going to happen. But I would say, you know, there have been instances where I've been um, at shoals and, you know, people have assumed that I wasn't Jewish or that I worked there or that, you know, I was like a passerby kind of thing. And um, that is, I feel, a form of racism. It's not like the most, um, painful or you know devastating form of racism but I do think that it does really it could chip away like having like I've had I can say I can think of two really strong experiences that I've had like that um but if someone goes through their whole life having experiences like that it chips away at their self-esteem at their identity at their um feeling of inclusion within the community and I think that a lot of people that I'm close with that are Jews of color that really struggle, it's because they experience those things for years. And it just becomes harder and harder to, to just like let it go or to give people the benefit of the doubt or, you know, to just be community oriented and not, you know, trying to, to see yourself as other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something that needs to be addressed, particularly um, within, um, more so with people who were from, from birth. For sure, for sure. Um, so is that one of the ways you think that this racism can be fought against by having these more of these discussions, um, to be more open-minded and listening to people of color stories? Or is there other solutions? What else do you think we can do besides that? Or is that um, like the main? You know, I don't, I don't know what I think the, the solution is. I mean, conversations are good, but I think it's really the actions that we take after a conversation that are good. You know, um, people right now are marching in the streets. And they're marching and they're saying, 
some things that I really identify with, but it's not just saying those things on the street and, you know, going to a rally or a protest that are really going to affect change. It's okay if you're saying that, you know, I stand in solidarity with the Black community. Um, and even even more so, I think, than even saying, like, I'm going to shop in a, in a Black-owned store. I think the thing is, really, are you going to talk to your neighbor who might be Black? Are you going to, um, you know, say hi to them? And are you going, like, how are you going to put it into action? Because I really do think that, like, every time we interact with people, we're making a negative or a positive impact on them. So um, the rabbi of my shul wrote, like, actually a very nice write-up. And it was about his relationship with one of his neighbors who happens to be Black and how the neighbor and him have such a nice relationship that the neighbor triumphs and cheers every time the shul and the rabbi and the rabbi's family have anything, a simcha or anything that's positive in their life, this black neighbor, this non-Jewish black neighbor gets excited. And the rabbi also gets excited whenever this neighbor has something going on. The rabbi has given money to his fundraisers. This black non-Jewish man has given, um, money to the rabbi and for Arshul. And so I think that it's just those little things. Like when I bake challah and I bring it to my landlord or to my neighbors, like that's making a kiddush Hashem, that's bringing us closer. When they do something for me that I might need um, on Yontep for Shabbos in an emergency situation, that's also us getting closer together. It doesn't mean necessarily that we have to sit down every week and invite them to our Shabbos table or that, you know, we have to start, you know, becoming best friends, but it just needs to be pleasant. And we need to realize that we're all human. We all want the best in life. And how do we support ourselves so that we're all benefiting? Because it doesn't benefit anyone if there's, if there is racism, if there is unjust killing, if there's looting and rioting, it doesn't benefit anyone, literally no one. So the best thing we can do is to make our communities better and stronger and happier and thriving so that we don't get to the point that those things are happening. Wow, that's beautiful. You said something that really stuck out to me. It's like, yes, of course, like the protests, the peaceful protests are important to show that you're standing in solidarity with the black community. But what you said is something that I don't think is spoken about enough it's about like what's happening inside, what's happening inside your homes, what's happening between you and your black neighbor and your friends and the people that you work with. It's the, it's the small things. It's really the small things that count that we're able to make a bigger impact, I think. And that was really, really beautiful, Alana. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so you recently just got married. Um, I don't yeah. know, you got married a couple months ago? Um, almost oh, no, a little before three months ago. Oh, right, during coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So before we get into the details of the wedding and how you dealt with a COVID-19 wedding, um, can you tell us how you met your husband? And your husband is white. Um, yeah, I got, I mean, he's half Moroccan. I don't know, like, how people identify. <laughs> I'm Sephardi, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, his father's Moroccan, but I guess, you know, he is identified as a white person. Um, I also find it funny sometimes when we have these conversations because it's like, okay, Jews, are Jews like identified as what, you know, like it gets so deep. But anyways, for the purpose of this conversation, yes, I guess he's white. 
Um, so we met on the internet. We met on JSwipe. Wonderful. That's the way to go. <laughs> it works. I mean, we both tried a lot of things. We both knew we wanted to get married, but it happened wow. to be that that was the way we met. That's the way Hashem needed to connect us. Wow, beautiful. Thank God. Thank God for the internet for productive <laughs> activities, right? So I understand that your husband, he has a family. He has two girls. Three. Yes, three Four girls. Percent. Thank God. And how, how did your family and his family take it that you were coming together? Did they see you as like a biracial couple? Was, that, was there any like controversy around you guys coming together? Um, there was controversy, um, on both of our sides, but it, it didn't really have to do with race. Um, we got married very quickly and, um, I'm trying to think we were married less than three months after meeting each other. Um, and I think less than three months. Yeah. So, so the controversy was, um, more about you know, it's a second marriage for him and he's marrying someone very quickly. And, you know, on my side, it was like, okay, you're getting married. He has three kids and you don't know him. That was the biggest controversy. And I won't even say it wasn't even a controversy. It was people who care about us and love us who just wanted to make sure we were making the right decision. I mean, we have the full support of both of our families um, oh before the wedding and, and everything, but there, yeah, there definitely were different people who were voicing concern um, in advance of the wedding when it was announced and things like that. But I think by our engagement party, by our Lachaim, like everyone was fully on board. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, the fact that you didn't get any, like different opinions about, oh, like you're a biracial couple, like the fact that that didn't happen really, that shows a lot, you know, about the people in your communities mm -hmm. that you guys have really progressed. Like there's no racism there from what I see. Yeah. Um, the fact that your, you know, your husband didn't see, didn't see that. Like he saw your character, like that shows a lot about him and you the fact For that you, sure. you're, you're, you're it was a conversation it was a conversation i mean it was something that we discussed logistically not like we don't want to date each other or marry each other because of this but like what does it mean what does it mean for our children what hardships will we have to um overcome what hurdles it was just a strategic conversation just like someone might have with someone who has a different minhagim or who grew up in a different country or you know, has a different background, but is going in the same direction. So although we had that conversation and very openly, I mean, my husband was really educating himself. He was reading articles and saying, is this your experience? Did this happen to you? Did things like this happen to you? And some of them were like very painful articles and things that he maybe had never heard before or experienced before. Cause I think that that is a big thing for people who didn't grow up around Jews of color and are a white Jew, like they might not have ever heard like the worst of it. So he was reading, I would say the worst of it. And then kind of coming to me and saying like, is this something that you've experienced? And, or do you even like, is this a common experience? And then we'd have a conversation about it. And I would say like, you know, my husband and I both have very strong Amuna in different ways. 
And one of the things that my husband has very strong Amuna and I'm seeing right now is that um, he's not afraid of racism or, or being judged or anything like that. So it's never been a conversation of like, um, afraid of, of the reaction of the community or like afraid of, you know, things that will happen. It's kind of like, well, we'll take it as it goes. Like if that comes up, like Hashem will take care of us. Even when it's like violence, like I'm like, what if this happened? What if that happened? And he's like, people have survived. Like we had just brought a story of a guy who had survived like multiple concentration camps and you know survived and, and he's like if this guy like if you're me- if something is meant to happen if you're meant to survive and if you're meant to thrive Hashem is protecting you like you don't have to worry about it so like my worries are soothed a lot of time by him um in that in that respect and in a lot of respects actually like he's a very how is your Muna different from him it's you you find yourself um, to be a little bit more worried about that yeah, I find myself to be a little bit more worried about a lot of things. Um, like, I, I go in and out, you know, like, I think that as far as um, a career, I'm, I have maybe more strong Amuna and like day to day things. It's interesting, because I would say I was about to say that I have more stronger Amuna as far as Parnassa, but I think he definitely has stronger Amuna as far as Parnassa. Um, I, I do have the tendency to be a worry word. It's something like Amuna is something that I work on. Like I have a Chavrusa that like we go through living Amuna and, you know, I was doing, um, the section on Amuna in Hovoda Lavavod and like, I'm reading Garden of Amuna, but I have to like reread that. Like, it's not natural for me to think that way and feel that way. And I'm sure like some people see me and they were like, you're just so calm. And I'm like, that is because I meditate and I do tons of work on Amuna Hashem because I know that like my nature could be like an angry worried person about the future. It's not even about current situations. It's like I'm worrying about something that is, hasn't even happened and might not even happen, which is really counterproductive. So I try and, and just give it all over to Hashem as much as possible. Beautiful. Do you think um, being a Jew and do you believe that your Judaism and learning Torah helps you as a woman of color? For sure. Experiences? How? For sure. Um, I think, um, so within the Jewish community, I think it helps me because, you know, I, I can just go back to the fact that we're all one. And I mean, without, you know, even, even throughout other communities, I mean, if you really want to go on a very, like, um, meta level, you can go back to that too. But I think when, when there's struggle within the Jewish community, I just think, you know what, we're all one, like, even when I see struggle between anyone, like, not just because of race, it's like, we're struggling, but we're all a family. We're all moving towards the same thing. We all want the same thing. So really just look at the big picture and don't focus on like what this person is saying right now in the moment. I think that, um, I think that, you know, Hasidus really helps me and, and my Judaism really helped me to not be so attached to things in this world as well. And, um, 
I know that like anytime there's a small suffering like every day, okay, we have to have like some small suffering. So my small suffering is that someone is going to assume I'm not Jewish because of the way that I look, or they're going to assume, I don't know, any, any stereotype about me because of the way that I look, that's a pretty small suffering. Like, I'd rather have that than Haz Shalom something else. So if that's my small suffering, I can smile at the Hashem and say, thank you for m- reminding me that you're there and you care about me. And I can daven that this should not happen to other people or should not continue to happen to me or to my children. But, like, if that's my suffering for the day, like, Baruch Hashem, really. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, wow. Well, so um, how is your relationship? Um, how is your relationship with your husband's ex-wife and his three children? How is the, how does that come into play? Because um, I know it can be okay, complicated so, sometimes. Yeah, well, it's different between everyone, but I'll start. Um, I guess I'll start with husband and his wife were um, when their marriage ended he was very clear about the fact that he wanted to get remarried like he knew that and so everything that he did was in preparation for that I think his ex-wife knew that as well so he would always talk to his kids about getting remarried and like what that would look like more siblings and that those siblings would be their half siblings like he really really prepared them like it wasn't like he was just a single dad and then one day he said guess what I'm getting married it was like he was a single dad who always told his kids one day one day one day um and they never um you know he definitely was looking for the right person they had never met anyone or heard of anyone that he was dating but that's why I think when they met me it was easier for them to accept me because one they have an amazing relationship with their dad he's an amazing father and they love him so much and they want him to be happy and two they were really prepared like it was like you've been hearing that this day is going to come for three years and now the day is coming and you know especially being from girls marriage is something that they know is important it's a mitzvah and like you know they're supposed to be a family so it was something that they embraced from the beginning they're definitely shy girls so when i met them um, the first time I met them, it was really quiet, like very quiet. My husband told me that <laughs> and he prepared me for it, but I didn't believe him in a way because I'm not a shy person. So when I was a kid, if a, if a new person came into the house, they were my best friend. Like I didn't care who they were. I was definitely a person who would have gone with strangers and, you know, offer me a cookie. And I was like your best friend kind of thing. But these girls are not that way they're very sweet and they're very shy. So when I met them, they were all smiling, all three of them, but um, the two youngest were not speaking at all. And like, then our oldest, she was like a little bit more outgoing. Like she spoke to me a little bit. She invited me to her school play and it was like very, very nice. And um, their mother, I met for coffee, like the day that I met them before I met them. She wanted to meet me before. So we met for coffee and we talked, um, we talked about our lives and our backgrounds and where we were before and where we are now. And um, she shared very candidly, you know, about her marriage, about her girls. And she was very supportive of our relationship. I know that my husband had mentioned me to her, like, um, 
in the beginning of our dating because he did think it was serious and so he had mentioned like that he um wanted he thought he would be getting married soon and then they were discussing logistical things because since they do co-parent it really affects um everyone you know like a marriage situation and so it's been good I mean now Baruch Hashem the girls are not shy around me at all but I'm reminded of it every time we have a guest over and they become quiet because they love guests and they're like oh are we having a guest for Shabbos and they're like someone's coming over they're so excited they're setting the table they're super mitzvah girls and then the person walks in and they're silent but smiling I'm like that is how I met them like that's just that's their shyness and my husband right. is shy as well so it's cute <laughs> wow this is so nice did they when were they prepared before they met you that you were a woman of color or did they have yes, to be prepared they were, they were. I don't think they had to be. I mean, my husband was very adamant that his girls were not like racist or that it wouldn't affect them at all. Um, Because it was instilled in their homes, like from early on. I don't know if it was ever instilled. I don't think that they were ever like, for one, they've never really been around black people, like not in the in a, in their home, like, it's not like they have any family members who are black. They never had anyone work in their home who was black. I don't think anyone at their school is black, but because they didn't hear negative, like, I think if you don't hear something negative, you don't think it if you're a child, like children are pretty pure. So when children say negative things, and I'm talking really negative things, obviously kids will pick on people who are different, but not in a, like, um, like my husband has has said, like there was one article that someone that I knew wrote, and she said that people called her like dirty and disgusting. Like that's not really a natural thing for a kid to say. Like the kid might say, like, "Oh, you have black skin," or "You have red hair," or you know, whatever is the difference. But if they're really going and being very negative about it and, and like name calling, those are things I think that they've heard from home or the news or the street or somewhere. It's coming from somewhere else and so because they weren't hearing those things even though they didn't hear necessarily positive things they weren't hearing anything so they just like okay this is someone that our dad loves and he did tell them like you know that I that I was a black person and that's it like that's just how um that's how it was wow and he showed I think he showed them pictures as well like um he told them about me the day before I met them and like showed them pictures of me so do you think the goal of being anti-racist, okay, because there's a lot of talk about that right now, do you think the goal should be to see color or do you think the goal should be to not see color? Because I think that's where a lot of the arguments are coming from. Like mm-hmm. people on one side are saying that and then the other side is saying, no, you have to see the color. Um, and you have, you know, black people who are siding on either either side. Right. So what's your opinion on it? What do, what do you think the goal um, should be? I don't know if there's one goal or how what I'm going to say fits into seeing or not seeing color. I mean, obviously we see it and it's there. But I think that it shouldn't motivate or be the only motivating factor behind our behavior and how we relate to someone. So for example, 
a lot of people will use examples like, oh, well, in my neighborhood, the only black people that I encountered were, and then insert any negative thing. I can't tell those people that they're wrong. Like maybe they had all those experiences as a white person. But what I can say is look at more than just their color. Are those people, how are they dressed? How are they speaking? How are they behaving? It's not just like, oh, they were a black person. It's like, oh, they're a black person. They're using expletive, you know, uh, expletives. Their clothing is, you know, they're not dressed in a professional, modest way. Um, they're being disrespectful to the elderly or the bus driver, whatever it is, there's, there's other things that you can look at. And then those behaviors, you can insert any race. If you see a white person who's swearing the whole time, disrespectful to the bus driver and old ladies, not dressed appropriately, you could behave the same way to work, like, you know, that person, maybe you don't want to sit next to them on the bus, but it, it can't just be because of their color. There's a whole picture that you have to look at. You know, how is this person, like, what are their actions? What are their meat? Like, that's really what I would say someone should look at when they're trying to judge a person and vice versa. Like, you can't just look at a person and say like, okay, there's a movement. I, people want to support black businesses and all these things okay, you're supporting it just because it's black or do you like the food as well? Or, you know, do you want it? Because whatever you're supporting is going to grow. So support things that you care about and that you want to see in your community and that are positive um, because that is a good thing. But if there's something in your community that you don't want to see and you don't want to support, then you don't have to support it and you don't have to be uncomfortable. You don't have to... Um, sit next to people that make you feel uncomfortable like we do have intuition and gut feelings about things but i think we have to make sure that it's really intuition gut feelings and judgment that's not based on racism wow i, ha I need to write that down that's that was remarkable um i uh, i am seeing a little movement that is talking about um, white privilege. You probably have seen that around. And um, a lot of people I see are getting a little bit offended by it because in a way it's making them feel like they have to feel bad for being white. They have to feel bad for the color of their skin because you don't, you have privilege. They don't have that type of privilege. I mean, not to get so much into politics, but do you think that one of the ways to combat racism is to feel bad for our white privilege? I don't think feeling bad does anything for anyone. I don't think it does anything for black people. I don't think, like, I don't think a white person feeling bad makes a black person feel better. You know, like people used to tell their kids, oh, you need to finish your food. There are people in Africa starving. Well, you not finishing your food doesn't give the mail enough. I don't think you're doing. Um, so what I say is, Sorry, if you, I just, if you feel like you have a certain... I think I just lost my internet a little bit. Sorry. Did you hear me? That's okay. I can hear you the whole time. I didn't, okay, I didn't lose me. 
you're getting. If you feel like there's a certain privilege that you have, and I and I I'll, I can talk about this more. I don't think that it's just white privilege, by the way. I think that there's black privilege. I think that there's all kinds of privilege. Um, do something about it. Not and and doing something about it isn't whining or feeling bad about it or saying or just saying I'm sorry. Um, I have a very someone's very dear to me, and she is. Um, white. She's not Jewish. We went to art school together and she is an amazing artist. She is a relative of Judge Tawney, the Supreme Court Justice who ruled in the Dred Scott case, which basically said that a Black person was not equal to a white person. So as you can imagine, in today's society, being she's a very liberal, artistic person, being a relative of someone who made such an unjust and unfair ruling that black people were not equal is a very um, sad, confusing, shameful kind of thing. But at the same time, he was a Supreme Court justice. So she talks about how her family always had this like weird like pride, but shame because like he was a Supreme Court justice. So that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. But at the same time, he, made a very racist ruling. So she went through um, art school kind of whining about it. And then one of her really good friends who was black said, stop whining and create something. And she wrote an amazing play. It's a two character short play. It's been produced all over and it really is very powerful. It has a very powerful message and it's a way to do something, you know, like sitting at home and feeling bad for something that your ancestors did, or even something that you did, or something that you were born with. I mean, as a Jew, I think that that's where I connect. Hashem gave us our circumstance. Hashem made me black. He made you white. He made us Jewish. So to feel bad about the way that we were born is not really, I feel the appropriate thing. It's what are you going to do about it? So I'm a black person who's a Jew. What am I going to do? in the world that I wouldn't be able to do if I were Chinese and Buddhist, or if I were, you know, white, like we all have very specific missions here. And if we connect to those things, if we connect to our power and to our light and just be the best person that we can be, then I think that that does more than feeling bad. And I think that, you know, I mentioned black privilege, I think there's all kinds of privilege, but I think that I will admit I'm a product of Black privilege. And what I mean by that is I grew up in a middle-class family um, with two parents, with parents with advanced college degrees and professional jobs and in an area where you didn't have to lock your doors. And, you know, we would go on vacations every year. So there were, there are programs well-meaning programs like affirmative action and all these different um, quota systems. For the most part, those systems benefit people like me. They don't benefit people who we quote unquote might say really need them. People who grew up in um, at-risk areas with a single parent home, on welfare, in need. Those people because of their circumstances and how they were born into this world, 
they need more nurturing and more care. I'm not sure how to give it to them, but a lot of them can't even qualify for programs that I could qualify for because they just don't have the education, the strong education and the background. So me getting an A in school, if there's programs to help me, is going to take me much further, but I don't necessarily even need that help. So that's what I think black privilege is, or if there's a quota system, someone like me is going to get a job over someone who might need a quota, but someone like me might get a job anyway, you know, in the same, in the same circumstances without any sort of like leg up. Um, and I mean, it's, it's not a science. It's not something that I've researched, but it is something that I felt. I felt a sense of black privilege based on, you know, how I was raised and how I grew up, but I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel bad about it at all. I think that the best thing that I can do is to use every advantage that I have to be a better person, to make the world better, to be nice, to, you know, shed light because me just feeling bad about it isn't going to do anything. It's not going to help the people who aren't getting it. It's not like me refusing the job that I might get through, let's say affirmative action or a quota system is not going to give it to someone else. And you know, I'm qualified to do it. So I shouldn't feel also bad that I, you know, it's not like I'm doing things that I, I'm just like not qualified to do. Um, and these are all hypotheticals. I've not really been in this position that I know of. Um, but it is something that I, that I think about, that I think about how it affects different people, like how, how someone with more advantage um, in any aspect gets yeah. got by. For sure. I think we all have a little bit of privilege, even excuse the color of your skin, like there's class privilege, there's religious privilege, there's all kinds of privileges. For sure. Um, and I love what you said that like, don't just feel bad about it. Don't just whine and be upset. It's not going to help you and it's not going to help the people that you're upset about. You have to do something about it. It's, it's all about your your actions. It's not just about what's going on in here and what you're typing up on Twitter or on Instagram or even the protests. What are you doing? What are you doing in your homes? What are you doing in your communities? What are you doing with your neighbors and your coworkers and your the, your, the students in your classroom? I think that's where it really counts. Um, wow, very beautiful. You really gave me a lot to think about, Alana. Really a lot to think about. What are some of your hopes and dreams for the world? Wow. Well, my biggest hope and dream for the world is that we'll usher in Mashiach very soon. Amen. Amen. Um, but I think right now it's just all about taking steps towards that, you know, like making a home for Hashem here, you know, in our lives, always being conscious about having Hashem as a part of us. And, um, I think that manifests in like every aspect of daily life, like anything that we want to do, we can include Hashem in it. And we, and, and we can know that he really wants to be included. Like he wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to hear our struggles. He wants to hear our triumphs and he really wants to be our best friend. So I think that, you know, a lot of times I can feel like, oh, something is so petty or it's, it's, it's not big enough to tell Hashem or to ask Hashem, but it's just about reminding myself that really like everything 
art, my finances, my husband, um, making a Shabbos meal, going shopping for clothing, anything can be elevated to be holy and anything could be discussed with Hashem. Wow, you really inspired me. You are just, you're such a godly person and everyone can learn so much from you. Like you said before in this interview, it's like not judging people just by how they look or what they do. There's so much more to a person by just their color, whether you're judging them positively or negatively, there is so much nuance. And not to sound cliche, but it's not about being black or white. You know, it's not about black or white. It's, there's nuance. There's so much nuance and people forget that, you know, and thank you for shedding light on this and bringing more light into the world by talking to all of us here who are listening. And I wish you much hatzlacha in all your efforts and in your personal life and your professional life and with your family and your loved ones. Thank you so much, Alana. I really appreciate amen, it. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Karen. Of course. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. That would mean so much to me. And I would love to hear your feedback about the show and how I can make this better for you. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at Soul Train KK. Have a great day.